Welcome to the Celtic Podcast, where we are translating and transforming our view of politics, pop culture, and personal preference. In this episode, we discuss fatherhood. Why do fathers matter, and what impact does fatherlessness have on our society and culture? And what does the Bible say about what a good father looks like? Let's get salty. Welcome to the Salted Podcast. My name is Yon. This is Dan. And we are thankful that you are joining us yet again. This is episode number 25, I believe. A quarter of a century of episodes. <laughs> if each episode were one year, thanks for joining us for 25 years. That's that's right. Uh, it's a lifetime of wisdom. We do know that. But um, <laughs> this episode, we got a special one because Father's Day is either... As of when we're recording it, right around the corner, when you listen to it, who knows where it is? comes around every year. Yeah, it is every year. So um, we thought, hey, let's talk about fatherhood. Let's talk about why fathers are important and what is the kind of like the national or international cultural conversation on fathers and the importance of fathers and um, and what the good news and what the gospel has to say about how do we, how do we uh, address that and then also salt the earth and, and live uh, and lead like, like good dads. So, so you're going to talk for the next 90 minutes and I'm going to listen. <laughs> How's that sound? That's impossible. Uh, well, you will get to hear in our personal preferences at the end. Uh, Dan's going to tell us about the best Father's Day he ever had. Oh my goodness. No pressure. So if you're actually one of Dan's kids and you're listening, brace yourself. <laughs> You'll be so disappointed. You'll be so... Uh, just because he was disappointed on that Father's Day. No, no, just kidding. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so here we go, Father. I mean, what do you when you think of the way fathers are portrayed, uh, maybe in commercials or TV shows or movies? Who are some of the famous fathers that come to mind when you think? Uh, Don't well, show your age. I know Homer Simpson really. Uh, I think for <laughs> what decades has represented yeah. fathers in the minds of of young people. Um, but really, here one of the things I've noticed, Yon, is that. Recently, by recent, I mean the last 10, 15 years, <laughs> every movie that I go see, no, that that's an exaggeration. There are lots of movies. Uh, I, I don't know if it's fair to say it's Disney movies. There uh, are no dads in Disney, Disney movies, which will be an episode that we have in the future. Well, they <laughs> when they do have a dad, I think of like the Croods, right? Oh, sure, yeah. I love those movies. I think those are so funny, um, and there's so many reasons why I love them. But I couldn't help but notice, but that once again, the feature of the the, the real hero in that movie and the subsequent, you know, the the sequel movie, was the young boyfriend who helps the daughter overcome this major obstacle in her living her best life and her mm, living her sure. destiny, her living her full potential, being affirmed and self-actualizing. And the obstacle, of course, was her dad. That's right. Who was a stick in the mud, play it safe, used, you know, he, he was uh, stuck on traditional yeah. family um, he wanted to do the, he wanted to do the safe thing, provide, be protected and so on. And this boyfriend comes along and literally liberates the daughter from the father. I mean, <laughs> the yo, dream of yo, any yo, father oh, of a daughter. Oh it's wonderful. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. So I, I could, it was amusing and I could certainly enjoy it in terms of entertainment, but I couldn't help but notice that once again, 
that that dad is the uh, kind of the anti-hero. Yeah. The kids had and the and the and the wife had to overcome the father. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's Incredible. definitely a theme yes. through Disney movies, there right? Which yep. again, why we'll probably talk about Disney in a future day. Right. But I mean, if oh, you, it, well, look at it this way. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah. In some ways, if you frame it in our culture's context, the dad in the family is the ultimate obvious oppressor. Yeah. And they have to they have to they have to flip the they have to be freed from their oppressor. Yeah, it's that's amazing. True. It's amazing. And, yeah, I mean, it's I mean, if you were to ask anybody what what do you think about dads, right? You're going to get a whole bunch of different answers, right? Because some people grow up. I mean, there's cultural things that tell us about dads, and they're generally not great, right? There's even there's like the doofus dad, the dopey dad, right? It's yeah, like yeah. Homer, right? Homer Simpson. You know, if you're a family guy, like Peter Griffin, these are the animated people. But, you know, Ray Romano was, you know. Ray. Um, yeah, Phil Dunphy Listen, from The Modern everybody Family. everybody loves Ray, though. Yeah, everybody loves Ray. Yeah. <laughs> Phil Dunphy from Modern Family. Um, Is his name Dunphy for real? Dunphy? Dunphy? Oh, Dunphy, okay. Yeah, yeah I think yeah. so, yeah. So uh, close to Doofy. I mean, yeah, exactly. It's, like, perfect. <laughs> um, so there's, like, the dopey dad. There's, like, really hard dads who are out there. Like, I mean, if anyone who's a Yellowstone fan, like, the John Dutton, he's, oh. like, really hard, really, like, a, almost emotionally <laughs> abuses his yeah. kids and stuff like that. Um, there's, like, the good dads. Like, the, the Dune is a recent movie, and the, one of the things that's compelling about the story, if, you know, spoiler alert, but the dad who's a, you know, a powerful person is actually a good dad. Like oh. he's the ruler. He's a good dad. And he ends up, he ends up dying. Um, Tony Stark Stark is like, he's like the father figure for Peter Parker. Right. I mean, oh, yeah. Iron Man, right. Yeah. In terms of, I didn't even um, think about yeah, that. And he, he, you know, so he, he dies and spoiler oh, alert again. Yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> but, but you can see like, so there's all, there's all these different perspectives, but generally I don't think fathers are portrayed as, as being the, the, the solid foundation of which yeah. our culture is built upon. Right. 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 Um, and that is either that's it's probably a, a fruit of that not being true in a lot of cases yes, I mean, yeah. nowadays. But then also it's a, you know, it is a, um, there's a shaping of, of even the idea that fatherhood and what that means and how important it is, right? Um, and but the more and more we look at it, and the more and more we look at the statistics and America, America specifically, is that fatherlessness, right? The absence of fathers is becoming a more and more normative experience for people. In yeah, their lives. and you can imagine that if if that is your situation or if that's normal for your community, you certainly wouldn't want fatherlessness to be demonized, right? Yeah. Or to be blamed for some of the hurt and heartache that you are facing in your community. Yeah. Um, yeah, you'd certainly want to portray or project that the, that the blame is elsewhere. Yeah. And there's a, there's a real a quote that from a guy named David, uh, Blankenhorn, I think is his name. And he says, fatherlessness is now approaching a rough parody with fatherhood as a defining feature of American childhood. Wow. Um, and, uh, according just some, so we'll kind of take a look at some of the statistics and see if that's true. And then we'll look at, you know, is that with well, different opinions on, is that, you know, what's the impact of fatherlessness, you know, and is it really as impactful as everybody says it is? Um, and why is it such an important conversation? So, um, but did you know, do, 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 did you know that, uh, according to the U S census bureau, 18.4 million children or one in four ooh. live without a biological step or adoptive father ooh, in the home. Ooh, so ooh. 25% of total 25%. Yeah. Total um, without a what? Without a, so yeah, without a biological stepfather or adoptive father. So fatherless. Yeah. So literally that, that the definition of fatherless. Yeah, exactly. So I did not know that that, that is a, 
That seems like a lot. Yeah, it's yeah. I mean, oh eighteen point four million children. That's a lot oh of that's a lot of kids. Um, and you can kind of break this down demographically, right? I mean, not everything is viewed through a racial lens, but right. um, you know, maybe the cultural lens sure. is maybe a better way to describe it. But um, the American Indian uh, um, demographic, fifty-two percent of the oh. kids are growing up without with with no biological step or adoptive father. Asian uh, and Pacific Islander is only 15%, so it's oh, the man. lowest. Uh, Hispanic is 24%. The black community is 64%, and mm. the white community is 24%. Wow. So, again, it's um, wow. it's a lot in general, and it's definitely more prevalent in certain communities. But the question is, like, what's the impact, right? The, the question right. is, so what? And this right? is not straightforward, right? I mean, well, well, I should say it's not widely it's not it's not unanimously accepted. Yeah, I mean you wouldn't as, say yeah. The Congress isn't debating how do you end fatherlessness as the number one, you know, pillar of any political party's agenda, right? I mean I mean it's not like people are saying that's the root cause of everything, but some people are saying no, that is actually. Oh yeah. <laughs> that is a root cause. So there's a lot of a lot of debate, but the question is like what's the impact? Right. Um and so what? Is it a big deal? Um and there's a couple different opinions. The one side would say, you know, fatherlessness is a core issue in what would people would perceive as the breakdown of society, right. the way in which, you know, things are not going as well I've as they could. I've heard some compelling, really compelling arguments or uh, outlooks, um, perspectives on just how much damage our culture, and this is why we picked this topic, because the fruit of fatherlessness, it could be argued, is seen in the culture war it's in in sure. in the uh, in crime in substance abuse um unemployment um divorce rate right so yeah. some would say that uh there are paths that you can follow right evidences that you could follow that lead you to the source of all of it being fatherlessness yeah yeah for sure yeah and there's some there's some compelling data that kind of goes along with that um, I mean, and this isn't this isn't even like a left and right issue, right? I mean, if you remember when President Obama was was president, he had a very prominent national fatherhood and mentoring initiative that mm. he that he advocated, championed, and, and funded, right, with money. So, again, it's not a left or right issue. Um, it's a it's a but there, it is an impact, and there's statistical impact from uh, like what's the big deal if you don't grow up without a father, right? Um, and one of the questions was, what can the federal government do to decrease crime and revitalize communities? Right. That's the that's the thing that governments are trying to they're trying to say, how do I reduce crime and revitalize communities? And so the answer is um, the U.S. Department of Justice gave some statistics as to children from fatherless homes. Hmm. And they said children from fatherless homes account for um, 63 percent of youth suicides. Oh, oh my then I mean now now again we're not saying it's they, yeah well, yeah exactly we're yeah. not saying that these p- kids committed suicide because they were without a father but sixty three percent of youth suicides um, were from fatherless homes gotcha um, runaways ninety percent of all homeless and run, runaway youths oh uh, fatherless homes behavioral disorders so eighty five percent of all children that exhibit a behavioral disorder eighty five percent yeah it's uh, wow. high school dropouts. 71% of all high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. Juvenile detention rates, which lots of people are always concerned about, right? Yep. Um, naturally, 70% of juveniles in state-operated institutions are from fatherless homes. Substance abuse, which is obviously a huge deal these days, 75% of adolescent patients in substance abuse centers. Mm. So three out of four. 
and an aggression just in general. 75% of rapists motivated by displaced anger. So I guess after you get convicted of rape or you have a psychological evaluation, they come up with, well, it was motivated by my displaced anger, and 75% of those people are, are grew up in fatherless homes. That's so, amazing. I mean, um, clearly it's worth repeating that we shouldn't, we shouldn't indicate here that uh, if, you know, if a family is fatherless, that this is the outcome of, sure, their, of, yeah, their, of, course. of their chi- of their child because it's caused by fatherlessness. Right. But the correlation is 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 stunning. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, when you're in those seventy, eighty, ninety percentile ranges of, I mean, yeah. it just it's. And that's the thing is that lots of people are saying, well, clearly look at this, right? And that was the that was the question of you know speaking of the breakdown of society or how things don't work out. It's the government's asking, well, how do we how do we fix these problems? Well, yeah. The U.S. Department of Justice says, well, here you go. Here's here's some correlating evidence. Um, and there's a quote that I really like. Was from a, it's like a French novelist, but he's because um, people would say, well, you know, I grew up without a dad and, and I turned out OK. Right. And lots. And there's always like, well, who's better, the mom or the dad? Right. Who like let's talk about motherlessness. Right. Single family father homes. Right. But this one quote says it, it, it's a compelling quote. And he says, in reality, the world is full of bad mothers as it is of bad fathers. And it is not the motherless children who become delinquent, but the fatherless ones. Yeah. Wow. So he's making the observation that there's obviously bad moms and bad dad in yeah. equal category. The question is who becomes the quote-unquote delinquents as maybe defined by yeah. all of these statistics. Um, now, it's those know, who I'm, don't have dads. I'm going to I'm gonna project a little bit or go out on a limb. Not, not really go out on a limb. I would say I'm just going to anecdotally make a projection. And it's based on some things that I've read and experienced, but I'm just going to guess that some of what children lose without a father is the figure of authority. Hmm. And without that authoritative figure, not to say that mom does not have authority, not to say that mom does not exert authority, not to say that some moms cultivate that authority effectively. But somehow in my anecdotal experiences, uh, there's something about the presence of a um, physical father that projects authority right and it seems to me that again based on experience and based on some of the things that i've read and the way that i've learned that without that father what's missing in the life of a child is uh submitting learning to submit to authority Mm. learning to learning to bend their will underneath the demands of a of a positional authority and and that leads to catastrophic um problems with future authority sure yeah yeah and uh, yeah and that's a but that's a good that's a good point in that that is what most people i think would would advocate for or they would say that that's one of the reasons Mm -hmm. that you would say that's why it's it's a problem sure um but one thing that um people who are not who who would not fall on this the side quote unquote of the argument that says fatherlessness is a core central issue they would say well fatherless is not the core issue but it's a symptom right there's another side and they would actually argue and say by making the argument that you made, by making that point, um, it actually is a detractor from the uh, empowerment of like a single mom, right? For example, oh, sure. saying like for you, you're we're inadvertently saying, well, because there's no men, the female is incapable or has does not have the power to raise a functioning uh, and and, and you right. know, socially adopt ad- adapted um, person. Yeah. Right? So the implication is that without a dad. Um, uh, everything that's gone wrong in our culture, society, 
is a result of bad mothering. Right, exactly. Right? So it's that's like, how yeah, they hear it. Totally. That's they how they say, hear they it. Say it's not a far jump to say uh, there are no fathers to these women are failing to raise our youth. Right. right? And right. that's it, like... Yeah. It's the opposite of what we're going to say here, which is it's clear that families have been designed by God to be led, loved, and cared for by two people. It's a two-person job. Right. Yeah. Not that the mother is failing, but that she can't, um, literally cannot fulfill the role of a parent by herself without that dad uh, presence right. figure. Yeah, which yep. we'll get into here. Yeah, but that's the and I think the the ones the other side would say, and we've said this a couple of times already. But when you talk about statistics, if you're a statistics wonk, you know that um, the the statement correlation does not equal causation. Right. Right. So they would say, well, just because you're spitting out these statistics does not mean that fatherlessness is in fact True. the root cause. Yep. And there's an Afri- and I mean the 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 African American community gets um gets a a, a micro magnifying glass put on it, right? Mm-hmm. A lot because of the I mean the number we said is 62, right? And some people keep saying like 70% of kids are born into a fatherless home and um but there's a there's a you know there's the other movement that says that fatherlessness is not the issue it's you know it's the systemic issues that um right. that they're faced with and generally speaking fatherlessness occurs in in you know impoverished and lower income socioeconomic communities and right. they would say well fatherlessness is not the root cause of all this stuff it's poverty it's you know um, systemic racism yeah, and injustice the, right that, that yeah. all of the hardships of that community is a result of structural biases and right. and and yeah. disparity. Yeah. And so you're naturally got, you're naturally breaking apart the right. the the home because of those things. So sure. fatherlessness is a is a symptom, symptom. not a root. Right. Gotcha. Um and so that's something to to consider as we think about yeah. that in terms because you and I we're not well I didn't I mean I didn't grow up in a trailer park, but but you did, right? So but but being on that like the the experiencing the low social economic impacts and growing up with a father and, and yeah. seeing that issue is nothing something we haven't necessarily experienced. Right. Um but there's lots, there seems to be lots and lots of evidence to say fatherlessness is, even if it's not the root, root cause, it's a pretty significant foundational issue. Um, and really the question then becomes for Christians, it's like, okay, so why does this really matter to us? Uh, and why should we, why should we invest time, energy uh, into addressing this? Um and one of the answers to that is really, is that if we think fatherhood is really kind of inevitable, right? I mean, there's two things that are going to happen if we are advocating and we just did an episode on why the nuclear family is so important. And if we're advocating that we say, Hey men, go and find a partner, go and find a wife and then go have kids. And then you're going to become a dad, right? We would, we would hope that fatherhood is inevitable, um, ideally in that circumstance and in that pathway, um, as a, as God's design, but then also realistically boys are, having children and then they are faced with an option right as opposed to a man who's finds a wife gets married and has kids um, there are boys who are having sex uh, at a young age and they are the one of the natural implications of having sex is that you're procreating and then suddenly um, this person that i've had sex with who may or may not be my wife my even my significant other of any kind they have 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 a kid and suddenly i am now a father um and it's an, almost an inevitability, regardless of what track we get to. Right. And so the question is, those boys and even men are faced with a, with an option, right? What do I do? Right? Do I run away? Do I disengage? Do I not? Um, do I not take care and, and father that child, or do I stay and be a father, 
even though I have no idea how to do it and I've never experienced a good dad. Um, and so the Christian community, we have to say, well, what are we teaching boys and men about fatherhood? And what's the distant, what's the difference from that dominant narrative that we discussed at the beginning of men being dopes or men being hard, um, you know, authoritarian figures. Um, what, what do we, what is, the, what does the Bible, what does the Christian worldview have to say about how we should invest and spend our time talking about this? Yeah, I mean, for one thing, we should start with the idea that uh, our boys are learning about fatherhood, whether we're teaching them or not, oh, yeah. right? They're immersed in our culture, and they're learning that dads are, as we've already said, doofuses. Dads are oppressors and have to be overcome. Uh, they are learning that dads are optional secondary vacant or not vacant and if they are present they can be passive participants or i should say not even passive participants but they could be um um really vacant emotionally mm. so uh they are learning one way or other whether we're teaching them or not sure um yeah i can't i can't help but think of that example uh i've seen yon of the power of dads when i just saw this feature on um on television there was a story of a high school much like what we were experiencing here in upstate new york in the in onondaga county uh, which is at the beginning of the school year there was this rash of violence especially in our urban schools and it was daily and it was a daily uh, Mm, report of fights and and um, mob scenes and and um it was really pretty treacherous and substitute teacher got stabbed or anything yeah 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 and and i and I had seen on the, on one of the network news um, a feature that this was happening all over the country mm-hmm. and that there was a school district, and I'm going to say it was in Louisiana. I think yeah, it was in New Orleans. Orleans yeah. In New Orleans, okay. Yeah. In New Orleans. In New Orleans. Like we say. Yeah, yeah like, <laughs> like we say here mm-hmm. in upstate. <laughs> so um, f- it, this is fascinating. So some dads among a particular school district who knew each other there was a coalition of dads who said something's got to be done Mm -hmm. and they decided to network together buy themselves t-shirts name themselves and volunteer at the local schools as hall monitors and the only reason that story is fascinating to me it isn't that fathers were involved in their kids education or that they went to school to help out what was stunning to me was that the day they started the day before they started was the last day that they had any mm. incidents. Yeah. They, they they reduced the violent incidents from every day down at the time that they produced this, and clearly this might be different now. Sure. But at the time, it was like months into it, and it had gone to zero. Right. So dads were in the halls being present, and they knew the, some of the students, and they yeah. were engaging them. They pro- Basically, they just provided a fatherly presence in the school and uh, dramatically right. reduced... Yeah the violence and it wasn't like there was no authority there it was right. like there was cops yes, there and metal detectors and exactly. all that stuff right it wasn't as if it's like oh suddenly there's some law and order here no there was literally law and order but you know those dads show up and there's videos of them like high-fiving kids and like getting to know kids names yes. and asking how they're doing dad and, jokes using yeah, exactly. dad jokes yeah they, they laugh about themselves about being saying dad jokes and wearing their pleated khakis yeah exactly yeah totally the uncool people some of them are cool but yeah but yeah, I mean, yeah. Th- that's the illustrative power. Of, and I think that was what we would probably say to start off with is that, you know, in the debate about do fathers matter, right? We would say unequivocally, yes. And the Bible has some pretty uh, important stuff to say. How do we do that from yeah. like, the gospel-centered point of view? Yeah, I just, I just, um, it does. The Bible does. Obviously, our Christian worldview has a lot to say about this 
some of which was kind of synthesized recently in a book I just finished reading, a book called The Intentional Father. John Tyson wrote it, uh, and he makes this observation. He says, self-initiation of boys into manhood is killing our young men. Mm. Right? Let me say that again. So he's saying that boys who have to self-initiate themselves into manhood without a father yeah. doing it with them and for them is literally killing our young men. Mm-hmm. That without strong mentors, he says, boys are walking alone in a wilderness of conflicting messages about who they should be as men. And no one, it's certainly no wonder that our sons are confused about sure. what the world expects from them and what they should expect of themselves. Yeah. So um, the problem, Tyson says, is boys chasing their absent father's blessing and self-initiating into manhood, that that is the problem. Uh, instead, fathers need tools to raise their sons to have confidence and courage in life so that their boys aren't chasing their absent father's blessing or trying to figure out how to initiate themselves into manhood. And they and it's like a Lord of the Flies situation, sure. right? They, Without those that adult presence of their father, it's like... It's like, uh, what's that phrase? The the, the uh, strongest, um, only yeah. the strong survive. Yeah, or the survival of the fittest. Survival right? of the yep. fittest, that's what, I'm, yep. that's what I'm thinking. But of. it's, I mean, it, I think it goes back to your original point is understanding that everybody, every boy is learning how to become a man and a father from somewhere, right? Yeah. It's a question of, it's, are they self-initiating right. from boyhood yeah. to manhood or is someone guiding them and right. taking them alongside that? Right, yeah. So, yeah, that's exactly right. And, and, and of course, he goes on to say that it's not enough to just hope that our sons will become good men. Uh, we need them to be good at being men, yeah. not just hope they become good men. And um, he, it, there's this really interesting part of, of what he uh, writes and what he observes, Yon. He says, he kind of sketches out five types of fathers. Hmm. And these resonate with me. I think I can picture these pretty clearly, and, and I like, I like how it it kind of uh, provides these these pictures. Now let me guess, it's an alliteration of some sort. Um, turns out it turns is. out it is. It turns out it is. Like miracle. This is so you can memorize it easier, Yon, yeah. in that in that fine tuned brain of yours. Nice. The first one is irresponsible fathers, then ignorant fathers, then uh, inconsistent fathers, then involved fathers, and then he makes a pitch that this last one is. Uh, is really what we're aiming for, and this is what separates um, fathers, uh, effective fathers from from ineffective ones, is intentional fathers. Mm. And he goes on to say that what separates intentional father from the rest is that he takes the time to understand his son's unique personality. Uh, so there's a lot of relationship mm. on that end of it, and then he tailors his parenting to fit his son, who is different than mm. his other children sure. or his other sons. Uh, and it goes beyond, he says, this is the right thing to do to the wisdom of saying this is right for you. Right. So uh, he says the intentional father is filled with practical steps um, or is has filled his toolbox. He's learned practical steps to help men uh, raise sons of consequence, young men who... Uh, literally, they know what they believe, they know who they are, and they stand up against the negative cultural trends of our day. They live different than how they're culturally portrayed or caricatured. So mm, yeah. uh, I like that John Tyson here lays out a clear path for fathers and sons. Uh, it talks about uh, quite a bit about specific activities, rites of passage, marking moments that can be customized to fit 
your family no matter what. And one of the things that's hard to, to, to read about this book, and if you read it, you'll, you, you may notice the same thing, uh, the level of intensity and frequency in which uh, John describes discipling his son is rather intimidating. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's yeah. like, uh, I think there's a reference to like, uh, sonship seminary or I mean it is like it, 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 it doesn't it, sound yeah. it's a lot it's Easy. a lot I think he's talking like daily uh, you know every morning for 45 minutes um, talking and praying with his son and you know uh, it's a it's amazing I'm trying to picture 45 minutes of doing anything with a kid before school yeah, right because right. um, I mean to get my son to uh, either one of my sons at that time of day to say or do anything is sure, quite a, right so but I but again just because he has a high bar and he describes a high standard doesn't mean we should out of hand just reject sure, it. Right? Yeah, yeah, Some of version of it for ourselves is, yeah. is very helpful. And it makes, you know, it, it, it makes, uh, again, he, I'll go back to this. He says it's not enough to hope our sons will become good men. We need them to be good at being men. Fathers, grandfathers, and other male mentors lead the way. So how do we do that? How can we do that? And of course, we go back to there is a biblical worldview of this, and it's important for us to recognize that fatherhood has to be understood biblically, Hmm. right? God has provided a design, again, a worldview in which we understand fatherhood, and we understand that fatherhood through absorbing that picture and the personhood of God that comes out of Scripture. So. Um, biblical fatherhood is important for us to kind of grasp. And one commentator, William Barclay, says this about teaching children. He says, we teach our children to call God Father, and the only concept of fatherhood they can have is the one that we give them. Human fatherhood should be molded on the fatherhood of God. So the teaching of fatherhood of God really does take a turn when you're reading the scriptures or you're looking at the biblical worldview it takes a, a real turn with jesus yep. uh, father get this father was his favorite term for addressing god the exact term is you is found there, there's he uses this exact term um abba father three times in the in the new testament it appears 65 times in the three gospels it is uh, over used over a hundred times in the Gospel of John, so uh, it is really, really special. This word that Jesus uses, and because of Jesus's use of this particular metaphor, that God is a Father or our Father, it certainly shouldn't be surprising that the rest of the New Testament uh, emphasizes the fatherhood of God. Paul writes in the in in his letters to the church. And he describes God as a father over 40 times. And this is unique to the New Testament. Um, and it's only through the work of Jesus that God literally calls us or invites us, I should say, to call him Abba, Father, which means, uh, which is this fatherhood title. So, and that happens through the work of Jesus. Grace and peace that God has provided to us through Jesus has opened the door for us to be adopted as God's children. And I actually read a commentator that said the adoption uh, of God is actually more important than the justification of God, which mm. if, if you're a yeah. theology person, you're like, wait, what? How, how is right, that yeah. possible, right? <laughs> uh, we're, we're doing a series on Romans chapter 5 now where we kind of really described in detail what justification means. But what he says is that justification gets us into God's presence but it's adoption that, mm-hmm. that demonstrates relationship with this creator, not just 
it, it basically like the justification is the judge saying You're the good. charges are expunged, sure. but adoption is the judge saying the charges are expunged and you're gonna I'm yeah. gonna adopt you, yeah. take you home with me. <laughs> so that is power. It's yeah. a powerful picture. But isn't so, it, I mean, it's like it's such a terrifying thing that first quote you had about like the only concept of fatherhood they have is the one that we give them, right? So it's yeah, like the most yeah. like the thing that's more important than justification is represented yeah. in yeah. fatherhood. You're right. like, oh crap. Yeah. You know? Yeah. If you didn't feel like a failure before, yeah, right. you know, thank God then, for that justification. Exactly. Um, so, so here's a question and this is, I think going to kind of take us home here. Yon. The question is if we are reproducing and repeating the pattern of fatherhood that God repeats to us and for us, the main question is how does God father us? Hmm. So as a dad, if you're a dad who's listening uh, maybe a future dad, um, then I think this is this is so valuable. How to father is a question of learning how God fathers us. And, and, and this is true for me. There are times where I don't know exactly what to say or do with my kids, how to treat my kids, how to respond to my kids, what do they need from me. And I, and I have to go back to literally praying through, maybe even reading through or trying to discern in some way how does God, in this circumstance, how would God father me? Sure. And it's important for us to, uh, to see the fatherhood of God, that's God's paternal relationship to Jesus and uh, the way that he also, uh, Jesus refers to God's fatherly relationship to his creation, but uh, especially to we who believe as the children of God. So, so real quick, here's the aspects of the fatherhood of God. By the way, we could. This is just a very, very short list, right? right? Yeah. I mean, there, there's so much that you could see biblically, but here are some of the more obvious ones: that God is the creator and provider as the Father. As the Father, He He shows love and compassion. He exercises His providence and His care, right? His He provides, and He disciplines and corrects. So, hmm. but and this is so this is so important. God then is the pattern that uh, all true fatherhood is to repeat. True, cool. So we don't, this is so cool, we don't have to learn fatherhood in magazine articles, blog posts, and some, some of that supplemental stuff is helpful, sure, yeah. right? Like I just referred to a book I read. But essentially, all we really need to know is the pattern in which God has expressed true fatherhood to us. And, that, and, and it's a, tremendous responsibility that that lays on all human fathers um, and we best reproduce the pattern of God's um, fatherhood when we use this idea of present participation um, I'm not sure I forgot how John uh, how oh John um, Tyson calls it intentional fathers right. uh, basically I could put it in my words it would be present participation a father it used to be there was a time where all you wanted from your dad or all that was expected of dad in, in, in culture was that dads were present, right? Don't be absent, be present. Right. Uh, I had a present father. My dad was very present. He was nowhere else but home. Right. It's all he, quantity, right? Quantity of time and yeah. not necessarily quality. Right. right. Yeah. Sure. My dad was uh, my dad was incredibly faithful. He is, his routine was to the minute my dad was either at work or home. Hmm. In the presence of my dad primarily was in his recliner with the newspaper right. open and the TV on. Sure. 
he um, was not functioning on a high level emotionally, but my dad was present for all my sporting events. He was present for all my school events. He was present at home when I was home. Uh, and my dad was um, worked to be present in my life as an adult. Uh, but the participation part was very, mm, very sure. minimal, which I have no feelings about whatsoever. I don't feel like uh, my dad didn't participate. Sure, right. <laughs> my yeah. dad did the best he could with what he had, yeah. what he was dealing with emotionally, spiritually, mentally, physically, and so on. Um, but there is this idea that being present is, a, is, a, is essential. Yeah. Participation is where, where your family and your children flourish, yeah. right? Yeah. I think that's the, probably the quality and quantity, right? Most people are yeah. saying it's all it's all quantity. I'm just there, but you know, but you have to have the presence of quality in there, yes. and you're actually participating in the stuff that they're doing. Exactly, exactly. So, um, so I made a list, and this 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 list could go on and on. I tried to just think in terms of big picture patterns of God in the biblical worldview. I'm, and I'm going to start with this, that, that this present participation father is a father of self-sacrificing love. Mm. It, it's a father who says, your needs come before my needs. I am going to sacrifice for you so that you come first and, and, and I come last. So um, what does that mean? That the father is self-sacrificing to, to provide. The father is self-sacrificing to protect and you know we think in terms we think in terms i think when i get to protection i think in th in terms of it's the father who goes to the door when there is some unknown intruder or right guest at the door or some some bonk in the, sure, in the yeah, ceiling yeah. and yeah, sure. I, I, but i don't necessarily mean protecting them physically only but protecting them emotionally and i couldn't help but think of how vivid and how powerful it is to protect your kids emotionally by loving their mother in serving their siblings sure self-sacrificial mm. love for their mom and serving their siblings there's mm. a sense of safety and security that a child feels there and then self-sacrificing love includes discipline how do we know god loves his children the scriptures say he disciplines them and there's biblical ways of doing that that are very specific um you know consistent affirmation and instruction um certainly helping kids learn sin and consequence in discipline right um and then always having restoration there's a whole book written about this uh, that that um um ted tripp wrote called shepherding a child's heart where uh he he's describing how god fathers us and it's you know reveal helping to describe uh, uh having affirming and uh, very very clear instructions affirming relationship clear instructions basically setting the vision for what the boundaries are then when the child leaves those boundaries we explain that there is such a thing as sin, and then there's consequences to sin, uh, but also providing uh, loving restoration at the end. So that's provision, protection, and discipline under mm -hmm. self-sacrificing love. And if you've ever, I mean, if you have kids, the discipline, that whole process is like, there's a way to do discipline, it's a, but it's a long, yeah. tedious process where it's like, okay, like... I tell my daughter to do something and she doesn't do it. Then I, then, okay, we're in timeout. Okay. And then she's like, it's like an ongoing, this is a, like, this is an epidemic of the single moment drags out forever and ever. And it's exhausting yeah. and it's annoying, yep. but it's like, you just got to grind it out because exactly. that's the, that, I mean, that's what's better. Like that's the self-sacrifice. I'd rather be doing anything else. I'd just like, okay, yep. you win. I'm going to go oh. sit back on the couch, but it's like, yeah. 
But that's the, I mean, boy, that is, that seems that's like so the hardest true. part. But disciplining, that's different than you go sit and time out for five minutes and then when it's over, you're done, right? Yeah. But that's that the process, yeah. the whole process is so I, exhausting. That's such a great way to describe it. And I'm not sure if you meant epidemic or epic. It's an epic process. <laughs> it's an epic and an, it's, <laughs> an, and, and, yeah. and it's an endemic <laughs> with my kids. Yeah. And I was thinking this, that if we don't get, this is so important. It's, it's, uh, those times where you described it as grinding it out, they pay dividends at the end right. that bring peace and flourishing to the home. And without that discipline, without that grinding it out, without that long epidemic epic yeah. process, Yon, yeah. you can see the results of children who are now adults who are never disciplined or, or teens yeah. or young adults or uh, whatever who lack parental loving yeah. discipline right i, think, I don't mean yeah. lashing out i don't mean screaming right. and yeah, i yeah. mean i mean the whole process affirmation yeah. instruction sin consequence restoration yeah. i think i like that i like framing it in that self-sacrificing love because you're sacrificing all the stuff you'd rather do mm-hmm. right it's i think it, maybe for dad it's easier to provide and to protect but to go through that longer process of dis the, the whole cycle of discipline yep. is you know that's the the, probably the hardest one in that cell, but classifying it and it's a self-sacrificing thing, right? Yeah. It's helpful for me. Exactly. So, um, I, I have one more category here that's, that I'm going to mention. And that is that not only does God provide us the self-sacrificing love we need as our father, he also provides us the power to grow. He is enabling and empowering our maturation or our sanctification, mm-hmm. right? Our growth. He provides what we need. He doesn't say, I'm going to save you and then you're going to sanctify yourself. He continues to invest and grow. And what does he provide? He provides faithful affirmation, uh, d- a description of who you are. Uh, he he imputes that identity to you. He does not let you go out and kind of like acquire an identity. He tells you who you are. You belong to him. You're his child. Um, and... Uh, and I think that helps because most of us men who are, have kind of like descendants of Adam, I'll speak maybe for myself, it's hard to overcome the constant repetition in my mind that you're a failure sure. and you're going to fail. And this next thing is going to be, a f- in fact, all of your successes are are achieved as they're driven by the fear of failing. Sure, right. Yeah. So, so um, and I like what John Eldridge says. John Eldridge and his wife wrote these kind of like complementarian books. One um, complements the other, or maybe supplemental books is a better a better way to sure. way to describe it. But um, they talk about how important it is for that young man and eventually that man, that father, to hear this: "You've got what it takes. Uh, you don't have what it takes to save yourself, but you have what it takes to live up to God's expectations." with the empowerment that, that, that he gives us. And again, theologically, that could be a mess, but I, I understand what they're saying there. Uh, in fact, I think of God in his faithful affirmation. Think of this, Yonah. You remember when when John is baptizing Jesus and there's this amazing right. scene. It's kind of hard to understand, but there's the scene where the dove descends yeah, on, right. the, on the sun, right, yeah. Jesus? And then somehow, I don't know what this right, would be like, comes, somehow yeah. there's this <laughs> voice of God that affirms and he says, this is my beloved son in whom i'm well pleased yeah. he literally says i've chosen him he belongs to me he's the one and i'm pleased with him. he like 
I don't know, does Jesus need affirmation right, from yeah, his heavenly father? I'm not yeah. sure, but he yeah. got it yeah. there in that baptism scene. Yeah. And what's interesting, I follow a guy on Twitter, his name is Dr. Anthony Bradley, but he talks a lot about this, but he's always encouraging and people respond and they are pictures of them and their sons saying, this is my beloved son. And oh, we're, they're like gosh. on out, these outings, this teenage son, oh, this is my beloved teenage son so because good. he's kind of, oh, he's in, but it's a, it, but that equivalency of, you know, that's exactly what God did right. to Jesus is pretty shocking. It's amazing. So, there and I put faithful affirmation because I believe this that the it's the faithful affirmation that brings our kids to a point where they're willing to submit to us where there is a trust that we have their best interest in mind so faithful affirmation uh, just like God is he's faithful to us and faithful to affirm us uh, and then along with power to grow is wise coaching providing wise counsel for our kids uh, you know, we spend a lot of time in this epidemic, epic discipline grind that you described, correcting our kids. At some stage, correcting gives way to coaching our kids. And then eventually, as they get older, it gives way to consulting our kids. Um, but the wise counsel that's available in Proverbs, I mean, half of Proverbs, uh, I should say, a big segment of Proverbs is literally a dad hmm, teaching sure, his son. Yeah. Um, so there's tons of Proverbs uh, there that are so effective in helping be wise with how we instruct our kids. Uh, and you take the whole Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job. I love this from the Bible Project. They basically say, here's three books. They have to go together because here's what you learn. You get to train your kids that in Proverbs, if you do the right things, good things happen to you. Right. In Ecclesiastes, you learn that sometimes you do the right things and bad things happen to you. Right. It doesn't always work out. And then in Job... Uh, sometimes you are righteous and affliction happens to you and you lose everything. Right. But you have to take all of that wisdom and all of that um, wisdom that is accessible to our kids comes through the through the father uh, in, in wise coaching. So that's just an example. And then, so faithful affirmation, uh, wise coaching, and approachable grace. Dads who are approachable with affection and correction uh, again, they're, they're coaching and they're correcting. And here's the most important thing, but they're doing their coaching and their correction and even their confrontation, Yon, they're doing it just like God the Father. What does that mean? It's, it's done. It's done out of love and it's done without condemnation. Right. The wrath of God or his anger, his, um, the condemnation against sin is absorbed by Jesus. So now we can correct, confront, uh, we can coach, we can uh, literally provide everything that's needed for our kids without the hyper painful emotion of condemning them using guilt and shame. Uh, or as Paul says in, in Ephesians, literally by that provoking them to anger. Yeah, right. Yeah. <clears throat> so, that's not helping the situation, of course. No, right. So so uh, that's such an important part of, of God's approachable grace is that he disciplines us without condemnation. What does condemnation mean? It means... It means um, declaring us guilty uh and we love the fact of course that we rest in the um in the freedom and forgiveness of jesus so the last one is forgiveness uh willing to absorb the blame and and pursue faithfully pursue our child's restoration with us god did not wait for us to come around and say you know what i'm going to give this god thing a shot i wonder if he's accessible today mm -hmm. or i wonder how far it is to get to him in fact uh, it's the opposite. He pursues us, and he pursues restoration with us. And uh, when it's time to come home, he absorbs the blame. Uh, uh, absorbs the blame. And think about the prodigal son, right? He comes home to a father that, by grace, 
has a celebration that he was lost, but now he's found. Right, he yeah. doesn't condemn him and yeah. rub his nose in all of his mistakes and the shame he brought to the family name. He is quick to restore, he's quick to forgive, and he absorbs all of the painful um, uh, shame that the family name uh, takes on. So yeah. I wanted to mention, too, that if, if um, we have single moms or you know a single mom, uh, this is this is just like, you know, getting buried, listening yeah. to what yeah. what uh, what our children need from our fathers. But I, I think it's um, maybe in some way low level helpful to just think in terms of how powerful it is to point to God as the father of, of our kids uh, in our home. If if that's the situation you find yourself in and also uh, take advantage of the power of immersion immersing yourself in a church family where there are fathers and men um, who are serving uh, who are growing and um, allow your children to be nurtured by other dads in the church family yeah. um, and i think that's a, there's an abundance of uh, like a an embarrassment of riches in most church families with right. with men who uh, will model and serve and and, and demonstrate that. Um, yeah, it's also it's probably important to note that the way you and I approach this, and some of this came through in our conversation, is we view it as okay. The importance of fatherhood is that here's what fatherhood looks like, and then it's the the responsibility of the father to to teach their sons how to be good fathers, right? Yeah. And so, um, obviously, we father our daughters just as much as we obviously th- yeah. that's a unique set of circumstances. But as you're listening, it's like you know, there is being a great dad and the importance of being a great dad to both men yeah. and boys and girls, but then also we are naturally like teachers and saying, well, where do I actually learn how to be a good dad, right? Yeah. And it doesn't necessarily, it doesn't have to be in just a, a literal biological father. There's all sorts of great people out there. There's mentors, there's stepdads, there's grandfathers, there's other, you know, father-like figures who can speak into people's lives and learn these things. But yeah. we kind of, we we kind of tend to the, okay, I mean, I got a daughter, you got a couple daughters, right? And it's like, well, the thing on the front of my mind is I'm following my, my daughter and my son, but eventually I'm teaching my, I'm not teaching my daughter how to be a mom, yeah, right? I'm teaching true. my son how yeah. to be a dad. Yeah. And that's kind of like, what's the, the impetus on our That is kind of the angle we took here, isn't it? Yeah. At least I did. I yeah. took the, I took the angle that, um, my son is going to learn fatherhood from me. Um, uh, but my fatherhood affects obviously right sure my, i'm fathering daughters yeah. And, yeah, yeah. And, and sons as yeah. well so um I'm, my heart goes out to single moms and single grandmoms and some of that some of the turmoil that they've experienced through fatherlessness in the home um you know we pray for them and believe that god god is compassionate and present and he does provide those those men that um that are effective and and so mm. You know, to the degree in which it's helpful, uh, we're we're trusting that God meets those needs. Yep, and uh, we'll ta- we'll tell you how to be a a great mom closer to Mother's Day. We'll, we'll within our deep levels of expertise. That's we'll, right. Yeah, we'll That's do the right. same thing. I'm still working on that. Yeah, on that, <laughs> yeah, exactly. On that one. So, um, so at, at the end of the day, fathers do matter. They're a critical importance. That's what we believe. The that's what we believe the biblical worldview is because it's reflective of the na- nature and character of God. Mm. And so we see God clearly through the way that we have interactions with our fathers in in the positive sense. Right. That's our role. Fatherhood's not to be entered into lightly because of the when you look at it, the weight of it is a mm. very big deal. Um, which is why we advocate for. Um, the a pathway and, and a design for God's human flourishing. It's marriage, then kids and parenting, yep. right? Um, 
And we think that that's because of the weight of it. That's the design that God has for best human flourishing. And that's bared out in the statistics in our societal kind of um, all the, the, the areas where it's not where we're seeing people getting themselves in a lot of trouble and the things that are not serving our people well in our in our in our nation and in our communities. Yeah, so for sure. So now we're in the, the personal preference section. Yeah, and I let's know, do it. I mean, like, I, I know I told you that we were going to ask you your favorite Father's Day gift. Is that what the, I don't yeah, really remember. Was yeah. that what we said? Yeah. It's going to be a tough one there because I just don't remember gifts very well. Oh, boy. I mean, I wear them and I use them, but <laughs> well, I don't. your favorite genre of gift? Is it yeah. a clothing right. item? Is it a, here's an experience yeah. or here's, you can nap for two hours uninterrupted uh, no. or I don't know. My what? kids are waiting for my list of Father's Day gifts. Uh, what a week five days away from it and I just I can't come up with a I don't need anything and if I do need anything I don't wait till Father's Day to get it right a pack of socks or uh, you know something breaks Um, so then what's so let's what's the favorite thing you did with your dad when you think of you know the things that you want to okay uh, with your dad Uh, I think that's pretty easy I think that I could uh, I think what stands out is um, my dad loved to fish on the riverside and uh, so we spent a lot of time fishing on the mm. riverside. What does that mean? It means we hardly caught very right, much yeah. fish. But when we did, it would be a river fish like bluegill, sunfish, carp. Um, occasionally, we would catch something super exotic at the river like a pickerel or something like that. I don't even know what any of those are. I mean, <laughs> I've heard those words before, but I have no context of the differentiate. It's so yeah. funny to imagine. Um, and then, uh, you know, so we would catch, uh, live bait only. We would catch, um, an occasional rock bass. Um, now when you say live bait only, is that like to, to say like we did it right? Like, no, is there, no. oh, okay. I was no, going to no, say no. like, is live no. bait harder than no, using it's a fancy easy. lure? No, oh, okay. that's, it's actually in my experience, it's, it's, uh, because lures are something you use when you know what you're doing. Oh. You would know what color, what kind, okay. where to throw it, you know. So a live bait tends to be you hook on a worm and you wait for nature to, right. to stir up the <laughs> hunger of a fish or the agitation of a fish. But So we caught some, you know, some basic stuff, but lots of pan fish. Um, but sitting with my dad in those foldable ribbon nylon um, lawn chairs uh, and just having nowhere to go and nothing to do my dad really enjoyed that he yep. really enjoyed that and we've had some you know some fun fishing with my own with my own kids and and the um you know at first it's pretty hairy with those with those uh, hooks swinging around yeah, the right. three-year-old <laughs> but but eventually they get the hang of it and so my favorite thing to do with my dad was was probably that my dad did with me was take me fishing oh nice what about you mm, i mean your dad of, obviously didn't take you fishing. No, he did not take me fishing. If he, he did, he you took were... me to the hockey rink. Yeah, that's what he did. <laughs> okay. Well, I, my uncle was the one who took me fishing. That's who took me fishing, but it didn't stick. Um, uh, was I mean, like, I my dad just visited, and some of the things that I just still really appreciate now, as an older, you know, as a forty-year-old guy, is literally was actually that that shift that you described of like going from like the coaching that he that I like use coaching to, to like. We're talking about things not as equals, but he he said he actually said I always knew envisioned there being a time where I would stop teaching my kids stuff and start learning from mm-hmm. them, right? And so, um, his, you know, just being able to have conversations with him about stuff like in, in like leadership and and that kind of stuff is like it's been that's some of the my favorite stuff to mm-hmm. do is um was to kind of watch him do that um growing up, yeah, but then also so. now kind of listening and just having 
Jack, yeah, there's so. a humility that your dad um, that your dad projects there that is so genuine and sincere that I don't think a lot of guys could pull that off by pretending. Right. Yeah. And yeah. Um, and if there's anyone I know who would legitimately not need to learn anything from his sure, kids, right, yeah. it would be <laughs> your dad. Exactly. Um, but there's like I mean, even like but little like when I was a kid, little things like like totally different things of, I would I remember is my brothers and I played hockey we played knee hockey all the time in the living room and he mm. would like commentate like here comes <laughs> oh wait God. wait and he score you know I'm like uh, that's yeah when I think of like doing that now with my own kids I'm like I mean well, maybe he just wants to watch the hockey game of where I was like let's play knee hockey and then dad you got to commentate dad yeah, dad dad yeah. you know um, and dad's taking it taking <laughs> one for the exactly, team yeah. yeah and he's got to be manufacturing enthusiasm <laughs> the entire time <laughs> it's the same who knew, thing who yeah. knew that he hated that and yeah. had to, by love yeah, right, only exactly. by love was maybe he loved it I don't know maybe do you uh, are you going to? Well, she hasn't. I mean, right now, I'm in, I'm in the. Hey, let's play Rapunzel or right, Papa. Right. You got Papa, put down your hair. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> I'm I'm Elsa to her. And aunt. obviously, like, you yeah. love it. Yeah, it makes me so happy. You yeah, know? yeah. But uh, so there you go. There's some ideas for to make a great Father's Day. If you have a dad in your life and you're looking for Father's Day's ideas, you know, take him fishing. You'll really enjoy it. And um, other than that, thanks for listening. Share this. Um, give us a like. Give us a subscribe on any and all of the pl- platforms that we offer this. And um, we thanks for listening, and we will catch you next time. Thanks so much for checking out the Salted Podcast. You can find other episodes and topics on SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Make sure you click follow so you'll get notifications whenever new episodes come out. Thanks for listening. <laughs>